Welcome to History of College Football Podcast. I am Jay Abramson, and I will take you down a gridiron memory lane. The national champions, the teams, the rivalries, the conferences, the Heisman winners, the rankings. Today, we are lucky to have a very special guest, Mr. Chris Willis, head of research library at NFL Films and accomplished author. He may be found on Twitter at CDWillis83. That's at CD. W-I-L-L-I-S-83. As the resident historian at NFL Films, Mr. Willis oversees all aspects of research for the company and their producers. In 2002, he was nominated for an Emmy for his work on the HBO documentary, The Game of Our Lives, Pro Football in the 1950s. As an author, Mr. Willis's first book, Old Leather, was given the 2005 Nelson Ross Award by the Professional Football Researchers Association for recent achievement in football research and historiography. It is indeed an honor to have you on my podcast. First, tell me, Chris, about your work at NFL Films. Um, thanks for having me on, Jay, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, at NFL Films, um, like you mentioned, my, my uh, daily role of uh, head of the research library. So I work with our uh, producers and everybody else in the building. Um, mainly with the, getting the research material that uh, they need to produce their shows uh, and documentaries, you know, uh, check scripts, you know, and, and all that um, good stuff to, to make sure we're, we're doing the best we can, you know, with our films and documentaries that people enjoy, um, uh, you know, especially right now with Hard Knocks going and the season about to start. So, um, so that's what I you know, pretty much do on a daily basis. Um, so that's, uh, and uh I think uh, my first year was 1995 and into 1996. So this is uh, 20, almost 26 years now uh, at NFL Films. So Phenomenal career, 26 mm -hmm. years at NFL Films. Incredibly fascinating, your line of work. And you're clearly an accomplished author. Tell me what made you decide to write your first book. Yeah, my, my first book actually came from, you know, actually through my passion, you know, for, for preserving NFL history and, you know, especially through films and, um, you know, doing some interviews with some of the older players uh, from the twenties and thirties. That's an era that um, I'm fascinated with and you know, how the, how football, especially the NFL, how we got started um, and even college football, like, you know, how, how football got started and especially, you know, how popular it's come, you know, sort of from a, this sort of ragtag sport. And, um, and so my first, book project came from some of these interviews I did with with some players from the 20s and 30s um, and, and family members uh, so it's a book called Old Leather um, an oral history of early pro football in Ohio um, from 1920 to 1935 you know those those first like decade and a half so that's sort of got me rolling in in, in that sort of area of you know you know trying to preserve history um, was the main thing and um and trying to, uh, uh, you know, get these interviews and, you know, so that's where the writing has come, you know, kind of, you know, full circle um, of, of, of the projects I've been working on. A tremendously exciting era, 1920, I guess. So it all started with Andy Smith and the California Golden Bears and Newt Rockney and <clears throat> our great 20 years to follow. Now, now you're working on a new book, a biography about Bronco Nagurski former Minnesota Golden Gopher and Chicago Bear. What made you choose to write a book about Bronco Nagurski? Yeah, uh, well, the Bronco project is what I call it, <laughs> came about uh, mainly through uh, one of uh, my previous 
books that, that, that came out in 2019 uh, on uh, Red Grange, uh, obviously the, the big University of Illinois uh, All-American and who sort of became the first star of the NFL. Um, well, when the NFL celebrated its 100th season in 2019, um, that book came out and um, Tony Nagurski, who's the son of Bronco Nagurski, you know, who I had interviewed and had a little bit of relationship with, you know, through the Grange Project, liked it. And he kind of wanted to see, you know, a, a similar treatment of his father. So, so we got to talking, you know, like I, said, I wasn't planning uh, on jumping back into, the, you know, sort of Chicago and the Bears again. Um, and, and, you know, but because he was so interested in preserving his father's history, you know, at sort of was up my alley and to be able to, to talk to the family, you know, uh, Bronco actually had six children, five of them were still living. Um, you know, Bronco Nagurski Jr. is the only one that passed away. It was an All-American actually at, at Notre Dame and played in the CFL. Um, so I was able to interview some of the family and get involved in that. So, so that's how this project has come about is to working with them and, 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 and sharing their memories and, and sort of preserving that history. And um, uh, so that's sort of where we're at now, uh, you, know, uh, um, you know, you know, hopefully uh, in due time, you know, in the next month or so, uh, uh, I'll finish with the manuscript and, and, and turn it in and, hope, you know, it, it looks like we'll be able to see it in print, you know, um, about this time next year, you know, training camp and, you know, as the season starts, you know, 2022. Wow. And that is quite an honor. I didn't realize his son approached you about the book. That is just fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about Bronco Nagurski for our readers. Can you start by just telling us about Bronco Nagurski? Maybe start with his accomplishments. Yeah, Bronco, uh, I mean, it, uh, you know, sort of has, um, I mean, I think when people hear his name, you know, it's kind of synonymous with, with football, <laughs> you know, especially early pro sure. football, you know, he's one of the few names that even if you're just a casual fan or, or you're maybe not even a fan at all, you know, you know, whether it's Jim Thorpe, Red Grange, I think Bronco Nagurski's up there as one of the, you know, three or four, you know, names um, that's sort of synonymous with, with early, early football and, and, and definitely uh, so. Uh, he got his start in, in International Falls, Minnesota. That, that's where he was, was was born and raised. You know, uh, oh no, he was he was born in Canada, but then came over uh, early. You know, and was raised in International Falls, and he, he played high school there, and then obviously went on to the University of Minnesota. You know, the the, the local school, um, and played under uh, head coach Doc Spears, uh, well known uh, coach, uh, in those early years um, in the twenties, um, late late twenties. So. So Bronco uh, was a physical sort of uh, a freak, you know, I, I think we would actually say that about him today, you know, you know, the, the Randy Mosses and the Aaron Donalds that are just are, they're sort of a freak athlete, you know, he was 6'2", he was, you know, you know 235, you know, in some of the research, even like he was the fastest player on Minnesota, he was one of the fastest players with the Chicago Bears, even at 235 pounds, you know, he could run with Red Grange and, um, and Carl Brumball and some of the early Bears players, you know, who were the fastest, you know, uh, and, and, you know, both on offense and defense. And, and at the University of Minnesota, he actually started out on the line. He actually played in, you know, uh, as a sophomore, uh, you know, after playing on the freshman team and then played tackle and then moved to fullback, um, you, know, it, 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 you know, mainly in the senior year. And he made uh, All-American mainly as a fullback, but also on a few teams, you know, who's actually got some recognition as tackle too, you know, although he did not play that much as a tackle his senior year. And um, so that's how he sort of got himself established. You know, I think 
you know, if he came out today, he could have played a variety of positions. He could have played tight end. He could have played outside linebacker, inside linebacker. You know, obviously he could play fullback, you know, uh, you know, might even, you know, played a little bit of halfback, you know, uh, a Jerome Bettis type, you know, you know, if the training was a little bit different, you know, obviously in the late twenties and thirties, if you're 235 pounds, you're just, was going to be a physical player. You were going to be, even as a fullback, you know, he didn't carry the ball that often, really, you know, you know, um, you know, even although his senior year of Minnesota, he carried the ball a little bit more, um, but he was more of a blocker too. You know, he would lead, you know, on some sweeps and, and some, some power runs, you know, because he was such an excellent you know, a blocker. So, um, so that's where he sort of got his, you know, attention, you know, playing, you know, in the big 10, he played, you know, um, against those type of teams, you know, in the Midwest, he did have a, a very famous game. Um, I believe it was junior year um, where uh, he was uh, playing against Notre Dame and, and oh no, it was sophomore year. I'm sorry. It was a really good sophomore year and he's playing on the line and he had a really famous fumble recovery uh, in the second half of that game that led to a touchdown in Minnesota tied Notre Dame seven to seven when Notre Dame was at its heights with Newt Rockney, you know, and you're thinking, so it was almost a victory. Everybody remembers the seven, seven tie. Uh, you know, that, uh, with Minnesota at the time, you know, because uh, they had they had slumped down in, in a few years, you know, right before Bronco got there, and Spears sort of rejuvenated that program. And this seven to seven tie against Notre Dame was was, and Bronco said that in a lot of interviews later that that was one of his greatest moments in sports was recovering that fumble that led to a touchdown, and they were able to end up uh, end up tying Notre Dame seven to seven um, in that contest. Oh, great stuff. So 6'2", 235, fastest on the team at a time in the late 20s and 30s. Talk to us a little bit about the era that he played in. Yeah, well, at that time, you know, I mean, the late, the late 20s, um, especially at the University of Minnesota, I mean, it was a lot of power running, you know, you know, some schools, um, you know, would mix in the pass a little bit more. But, but Minnesota with Doc Spears was a little bit more of a power running um, when he got there. They had they actually had a really good fullback, you know, uh, uh, named Herb Jostein, um, uh, who did play a little bit in the NFL, but uh, at University of Minnesota was an All-American fullback. Before, you know, as Bronco was starting his varsity career, so uh, so you know, 1927 when he was a sophomore, it was very hard for Spears, to, and he definitely wasn't going to not play Bronco Nagurski, you know, you know, although he might have been you know, the, the, the best player in the team, you know, very young. He's like, well, we'll play him at in and, and Jostein was, a, was actually a, a tremendous fullback, uh, a really power running game at the time. And a lot of the big tens were like, the schools were like that, you know, Ohio state, Michigan, you know, Iowa, Wisconsin, you know, were, were predominantly running teams, um, you know, mixing in, you know, a little bit of the past. So, uh, so Bronco came around at the, at the best time, like I said, if he was, <laughs> I mean, just sort of like if he came around now, he might just be, you know, he might be Tony Gonzalez and Elder Gonzalez was like, you know, six, four, six, five or six, five, six. Um, but he could have been a tight end or an, definitely an outside linebacker, you know, or, or an inside linebacker, you know, you know, he could have been, you know, a red range, you know, like this is more about the bears years, but later years, red range always said that Bronco was the best player he, he ever saw, you know, and red range. Played a long time in the college and pros. He was a broadcaster for, you know, three decades. So he saw a lot of football, you know, during his time period. And he always said Bronco was the, the greatest player he ever saw. And he also said uh, in the 70s, he's like, oh, he was Dick Buckus on defense. 
and he was Larry Zonko on offense, you know, wow. so, so that just shows you how maybe a physical player he was. Um, and at the era, like I said, you know, when he, him being a power player, you know, big physical player, uh, he fit right in, especially in the late twenties and thirties, you know, with, with sort of the power football that was going at, at the time. Oh, that's tremendous stuff. Thank you. Talk to us a little bit about the man, Bronco Nagurski. Yeah, I mean, Bronco, uh, I mean, we've, we've talked a little bit about Red Grange, and that's a good comparison because they were there at the, you know, similar times, you know, late 20s. Red had already been established. But Red was, you know, just a comparison that Red was a sort of people person. He, you know, uh, although he was humble, he did like the spotlight, you know, obviously, you know, doing some Hollywood films, you know, during his playing career, doing radio and TV, you know, even later, you know, Red, Red kind of, you could say was the life of the party. He was always mm. good for, for a good story. You know, you know, like I said, still very humble as a player, but always, you know, sort of, gra- you know, people gravitated to him. Bronco was kind of the opposite. Bronco was, was shy by nature. Um, sort of a shy superstar, did not seek the spotlight, you know, you know, did not, you know, had, had, had numerous opportunities to do, you know, you know, a, a, you know, picture in Hollywood or, or be a part of, you know, newsreels and stuff like that and chose not to, you know. Um, now, the one thing about Bronco that sort of came out was, was he was, although he was very shy and, and he didn't want to talk about himself a lot, he was super competitive. He was a guy who just loved sports, you know, uh, and he, not only he, did he do, you know, college and pro football and was a Hall of Fame player. He was also a professional wrestler, you know, you know, starting in the early 30s, even with the Bears, became the world champion in 1937. Wow. And, and, and again, in a couple more years. And, and he wrestled through the 40s and early 50s, even into the late 50s, you know, where, you know, um, uh, you could say it was more showmanship. Now it wasn't quite as much showmanship as like with Hulk Hogan and they do now, but there was a little bit of showmanship. But if you look at some of the footage of wrestling in, in the, especially in the thirties and maybe, you know, there was still some technique and some stuff, you know, they had their popular people, they had their bad guys or good guys, you know, uh, but it wasn't quite at the, the sort of Hollywood showmanship that, that you saw, you know, in the seventies and eighties and, and what you see now, you know, um, but he was super competitive, you know, you know, like I said, you know, he, he wasn't one that, you know, bragged about himself or thought he was great, but, you know, he loved sports. He played basketball in high school. Um, I think he wanted to play basketball in college. You know, he just didn't think he was good enough. Um, and then when he graduated, or, you know, after his senior year, he actually played some, what you would call semi-pro basketball. He formed a basketball team with some of his golden gophers uh players and some people he knew and they would travel like in 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 february and march and april he would play you know you know 15 games a month and and, you know make me a little extra money you know because you know mainly around minnesota a little bit north north dakota you know um because they knew who he was you know they would would get crowds of you know thousand two thousand people and you know in one of his interviews he said a quote yeah he's like after he played the play he would I think he would pay like the superstar 25 bucks and then the lesser players like 10 bucks. And then he, he after it's all said and done, he would end up making like $75 for himself, you know? So <laughs> it, it wasn't, it wasn't bad money, but he did it. You know, sure. so that's why I said he, he was, he was super competitive. And they would even, you know, like I said, that was, that wasn't like for show. Like they would play the Harlem Globetrotters and they would play other teams, you know, in exhibition, but they would play the win. And, and, you know, like I said, so, um, so obviously he had his, his, his hall of fame career, you know, as a wrestler and as a, as a, 
NFL player and as a college football player. But then that's why I said maybe as a man, like, you know, he was actually a really competitive person. Uh, and then later in life, he was like, just like Grains, like super humble, you know, uh, and he raised his family. He never left International Falls. He, you know, he met his wife who, who was from International Falls. They got married, they had six children. They stayed there. He didn't move to Chicago or go to the big city or Minneapolis. You know, he stayed in International Falls, which was a very small town there on the border. And even later, after he, his wrestling was done, he did a little refereeing, but he didn't want to travel. You know, his children came a little bit later in life, you know, the, 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 the four sort of later children. So he actually ran a service station in International Falls, you know, in the 60s. I did not for, know for, that. For almost a decade. Yeah. So here's a guy who owned his own gas station, you know, and people, you know, you know, people would ask for autographs and he was just, he was just a humble, hardworking, you know, like I said, super competitive guy that, you know, just wanted to, like I said, loved sports, but then wanted to take his family or take care of his family later in life. So, um, so just, uh, like I said, just a, a very interesting guy. Oh, that is just tremendous stuff. So, so let's, let's then go back in time. Um, the Minnesota uh, school that he played for had just a tremendous legacy in the first half of the 20th century. So maybe let's predate Bronco Nagurski just for a moment. Before Nagurski came to Minnesota in the early 1900s, the Golden Gophers were dynamo, really. Can you speak a little bit toward that era? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think it's similar with some of some of all those Big Ten schools, or I guess it was the Western Conference back in the day, but you yes. know, we, we call them the Big Ten schools now, um, you know, where they all sort of grew up together, you know, you know, whether it was Ohio State, you know, Michigan, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, you know, or, or, or some of the original, you know, before Michigan State came along and, and then, uh, uh, but Illinois was up there too. So those, those early six, seven schools, you know, uh, University of Chicago would have been thrown in there too, you know, uh, but those early schools sort of, I say, they all sort of grew up together, you know, they, they were, they were competing, they were, they were in the Western Conference, they, they, you know, they had some outstanding coaches, you know, you know, you know, whether it was, was Alonzo Stagg, you know, whether it was Bob Zupke, Fielding Yost, like, uh, and then with Minnesota, you had Henry Williams, you know, sort of at the beginning, you know, or sort of at the beginning of their, of their great run. And so they grew up sort of wanting to beat each other, you know, they only played, you know, I guess five, I guess it was almost five or six league games, you know, they might play one or two other um, sort of non-conference games, but, but they sort of wanted to beat each other. I mean, like, I think Henry Williams or like, like when Illinois, uh, like Henry Williams was doing good, Fielding Yost was doing good and, and, and Stag, well, Illinois knew, to, knew they had to step up. So they go out and hire Zupke and Zupke brings that up to the level. Like, so, so they were always competing against each other at that certain level. And they all wanted to be, wanted to be great. Uh, uh, even Wisconsin to an extent, or even Iowa, you know, so, so it was, it was actually a really good, sort of period of early college football because you know it wasn't in at the national scale as it, as it was as, as, it, as it came later you know so it was very regional most of the players were, were from those regions you know they weren't rec you know recruiting california and texas to bring kids up you know so so those kids kind of knew each other that you know uh and, and, and they would play against each other. So th those schools, and I think that's what made the Big Ten eventually become eventually what it was, was because of those coaches. And those coaches stayed there a long time. You know, Henry Williams was there a long time. Uh, you know, Doc Spears, where Bronco came, wasn't there. But then they had Bernie 
Spearman, you know, I think you wanted to talk about him a little bit. Like he came a little bit late. He was there a long time. So those schools, um, you know, like I said, my, like I said, they, they just wanted to beat up on each other um, because that's the way, you know, college football was, was at the time. It wasn't this big sort of you know, cross-national appeal, you know, that came later, you know. Um, uh, and Minnesota was right there. I, I think now, if you think, look back, maybe the last, you know, even the last 30, 40 years of Minnesota football, you don't quite get that. But in the early 1900s and even definitely into the 20s and 30s, like, they were one of the, you know, you could say they were one of the top four or five programs, definitely one of the top two or three in the Midwest, you know, with Notre Dame and maybe, you know, even Illinois or, or Michigan, you know, even Ohio State was probably a notch below, you know, at some point. But, but Minnesota, you could make a case, was, was one of those really premier programs, you know, even from like 1900 to 1940. Oh, great stuff. Absolutely. So going back to Bronco Nagurski, after he leaves Minnesota, you had mentioned Bernie Bierman. Bernie Bierman becomes hired as the head coach at Minnesota. Talk a little bit about Bernie Bierman's legacy he left at Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, Bernie, I mean, just, you know, was just a tremendous coach, you know, you know, you know knew uh, um, everything in and out, you know, you know, great motivator, you know, so, uh, and you can see it, you know, his, you know, you know, with a few of the coaches, I mean, Bud Wilkerson, I think it's an obvious sort of guy that you look at, like, he's from that coaching tree, and Bud dominated his era, you know, maybe right before Bear Bryant became maybe the most dominant, you know, college coach, you know, so, uh, so Beerman had that mentality, like I said, he was a very good teacher, you know, you could get his players to play at a high level, I mean, there's those, those undefeated teams that he had, at that point, you know, in time, like I said, that's when the big 10 was starting to get, you know, just as good, you know, like there's those six, seven programs. So to go undefeated in, in that, those, that conference was just a tremendous feat. And, and Beerman, like I said, I think Beerman, you know, um, was like I said, you know, one of the best teachers, you know, and, and motivators, you know, uh, amongst those, amongst some of those giants that came along, uh, and I think it gets a little forgotten, you know, like I said, you know, I think University of Minnesota is, you could say, it's sort of a middle of the road program now. And you forget, you know, between Williams, the Spears and Beerman, like, like how really good, you know, the coaching was and how really good that program was, you know, sort of at the beginning, you know, uh, or I wouldn't say at the beginning, but just during that time period, you know, when college football was much more popular than the NFL and pro football, you would think that program would have, you know, some programs go into a little of a swoon or, you know, but I don't think if you're thinking of even Midwest or the Big Ten, that Minnesota would even be in your top four or five choices, you know, of maybe great programs or maybe the number of wins will surprise, you know, people like, oh, well, how many, well, they have that many wins, you know, and, and stuff like that. So, um, uh, so Beerman is part of that legacy. Oh, absolutely. Great stuff. Now, Mr. Willis, I understand you're from Columbus, Ohio, uh, home to the Ohio State University Buckeyes. And on September 7th, the Golden Gophers play your Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, thoughts about that game? Yeah, uh, I mean, the, <laughs> uh, I've been being in, in, immersed in the, uh, the Broncos the, the, almost the last two years, you mm. know. Uh, you know, I, I've learned a lot more about Minnesota football. and like, ooh, you know, okay. Um, uh, so to see my Buckeyes have to start off, like I'm not, a, I don't mind the Thursday night game, you know, early Thursday night and even playing a big game early, you know, Ohio State does have uh, the Oregon Ducks, you know, 
uh, you know, a you know, uh, little bit after the Minnesota game, you know, but playing the playing a conference game opening night with a new starting quarterback, it just like scares me. Like I, I you know, I, I like Coach Fleck. I think he's you know, uh, you know, very talented. You know, like he gets a lot of out of his players. They have a really good running back. You know, in Abraham. Uh, so it scares me. Like, I just don't know. Like, you know, the first game, like you said, you know, we're hot. We're going to be a top five team. We got a lot of talent back. We got a great, you know, very great, you know, very good staff, you know, with a very good head coach, you know, um, but you got a young quarterback. I mean, like I said, he's going to have quarterback make and it's going to be on the road. They're going to be super hype, you know, uh, you know, on campus. So it's, it scares me. Uh, I, I kind of been, you know, like I said, when I've been talking to my friends and, and, and Buckeye fans, like it kind of reminds me a little bit of last year, although COVID yeah. is a different issue of Penn State going to Indiana early. You know, Penn State had to play at Indiana the first game back off the COVID break, you know, the big discussion of will the big camp play or not. And that was a very good Indiana team, but that, you know, Penn State actually lost. They lost a tough one into the game, you know, uh, with, the, with the quarterback stretching the ball in the pylon. And it took it took Penn State a month to recover. It, you know, they weren't the same. It took them a couple of weeks. Just like, what are we doing? We're only playing seven games or six or seven, eight games. They didn't know how many games they were playing. So, like I said, it, it makes me nervous. I, I don't I don't like these conflicts. Like I said I'm okay with the Buckeyes playing a big. They, they should play a big early game like they do with Oregon, um, or they got Alabama. They got Notre Dame coming up. You know, in the, in the next two years, then they play Alabama. And then they, you know, I'm okay with that. Like they need to play a big game. You know, you know, with, with the sort of, um, you know, guys called the cupcake game, but, but to play a conference game to kick it off, like I said, that, that it sort of makes, definitely makes me nervous. You know, I'm not a big fan of, of that, you know, the conference schedule is hard enough anyways. So to play, you know, your first game when you don't know much about anything, <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, so we'll see that. It's a week from tonight. I can't believe we're going to have live games this weekend. And then, you know, the Buckeyes play, you know, um, next Thursday. Uh, I hear where you're coming from, though. For that first game of the season, you get a big game. You don't prefer it to be non-conference. Conference, conference sure. that yeah. added pressure. I, I hear you. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you, Mr. Willis. You have been a phenomenal guest. Uh, you've been on my podcast before. I'm very grateful that you came back a second time, and I must have you back a third time. Again, Mr. Chris Willis, head researcher at NFL Films, an accomplished author, found at Twitter handle, at CD Willis 83. That's at CD WILLIS 83. Follow this man. Thank you for listening to History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson. Join us every Tuesday and Saturday for a new episode. <laughs>